Today on Locked On Canadians, it is a special crossover edition with the gentlemen from Locked On Detroit Red Wings. We have a division crossover in which we ask each other questions, we preview the division, talk a little bit about Ben Chirot, Nick Suzuki becoming captain. All of that's coming up in just one moment on Locked On Canadians. For Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to episode 685. Today's episode, as mentioned, is a crossover with the lovely gentleman from Locked On Red Wings, Scotty Bentley and Brian Fisher. And without further ado, we'll turn it over to the crossover episode. Welcome back to the Locked On Red Wings podcast. We are your hosts, Brian Fisher and Scotty Bentley. I am a producer at WWJ News Radio, and Scotty is host at Locked On Tigers as well as a freelance journalist for the Detroit News. And today we are happy to do a crossover, my first ever crossover as host of Locked On Red Wings, uh, Locked On Montreal Canadiens. We welcome on uh, Sc- Scott Matla and Laura Saba. And guys, how you doing? It, it's it's good. We love we love crossover season because it means hockey is that much closer to actually starting, and we don't got to make things up to talk about on the spot for our podcast. So it's a <laughs> it's a very good time for uh, content creation at the very least. Yeah, we quite literally have prospects. We Red Wings have prospects tournament this weekend, and we were talking before the show, and you said that there's the prospects tournament for the Montreal Canadiens coming up soon. So very shortly, we'll have actual content to cover, and so that's something to look forward to. Um, but on today's episode, we're going to do Wait, a Laura, crossover season. Pre- what, what was that, Brian? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I just. So, Laura, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having us on. I actually, we've been wanting to do a crossover with Locked On Red Wings for a long time. Um, and it's gone through a couple of cycles of hosts, right? But we're very fortunate to finally do it with you guys. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I was really excited when you reached out because we've been meaning to do this for a while. And I know our two episodes, our two fan bases have a little bit to talk about this offseason. Yeah, we can talk about how the Montreal Canadiens absolutely killed the Detroit Red Wings last season in pretty much every matchup. That was real fun. We went in every matchup going, <laughs> oh, this one should be a win for the Red Wings and then just got stomped. You know what, Scotty? That was an early warning sign for us that the wheels were going to come off on that season because we every time the Red Wings went to Montreal, the Canadians absolutely shelled and Detroit. Arizona. We couldn't and Arizona. beat the Coyotes either. And we were like, "What is <laughs> happening?" Like we just we just played like Washington well and beat Boston, and now we can't beat the Coyotes and the Canadians. Yeah, it was it was a weird season, but but yeah, Laura, let's just start with this um, since we're let's just dive right into this season preview. The last year, the Montreal Canadiens went from second best in the league to worst in the league. They went from Stanley Cup Finals to Juraj Slavkovsky, which is a pretty nice consolation prize, if you ask me. But I guess as somebody who's an outsider in the Detroit, you know, outside the Montreal Canadiens fandom, how did that process happen so quickly? Was was that Stanley Cup Final just a flash in the pan for the Montreal Canadiens, like they caught lightning in a bottle? Or were there just things that kind of a domino effect that just led to that season being what it was? I think what happened was the Stanley Cup run was everything going right at the exact right time, whereas the start of the season was everything going wrong at the worst possible time. You know, you had 
the off season wasn't something I, th- I think they thought they had a lot more than they did because of the Stanley cup run. So they didn't do a whole lot to fill some gaps, right? Like there were some leadership gaps that, that uh, Shea Weber uh, was no longer playing. Carey Price was injured and was out for most of the season. There's, you know, they, they didn't resign players like Eric Stahl or Corey Perry, who for better or for worse were like the leadership in that locker room. And then, there were the, the off season was really short. So there were some injuries that were still lingering. Like Jeff Petrie came out pretty injured still, uh, you know, Brendan Gallagher was held together by like popsicle sticks and glue and cotton. Like it was a lot of, a lot of things that were going wrong. And I think the management kind of coming off of an off season that obviously they took a lot of heat for as well for their, for their first overall draft pick. Like there was a lot of pressure for the team to kind of put that behind them and perform. And instead, they didn't really have all the solutions. They didn't have the solutions in terms of personnel because they didn't sign enough people. Like their big free agent signing was Mike Hoffman, who everybody in the Montreal fan base wants traded right now. And then (laughs) there, you know, that was their big move. And then you look at, you know, you look at the coaching staff, they didn't really have the answers. They weren't adaptable. And it was one of those things where like, you know, they had no choice. They had, they took interim Dominique Ducharme and made him head coach for three years they signed him for three years because they went to a Stanley Cup run and severely like people call it overperforming I think they played really well in that Stanley Cup run but they were helped a lot by a lot of other factors and I think they didn't compensate for those factors right like I like I don't want to delegitimize what they accomplished it was amazing it just those players altogether did not come back they did not come back in the same condition and the coaching staff was just literally not adaptable I think that was the problem it was, uh, I, I, to piggyback off what Laura said here, everything that could go wrong into last season did. Like, even when Jake Allen played well and he did a lot, you look at his record, he had 20 losses on the season. He was injured for most of it, and he still put up a 905 save percentage, which was basically a Herculean task behind the Canadians. Players were injured, no one was performing, and then apparently just the upper management didn't give any directive to head coach Dominique Ducharme. And then everybody got fired. Mark Bergevin was fired. Uh, Scott Mellenby quit because he wasn't going to get promoted. They brought in Jeff Gordon. Uh, Dominique Ducharme was fired. They kept his staff around with Martin St. Louis and immediate dividends were paid because he's like, I want them to play to their strengths, play hockey. Don't worry about being here, being here, being here. Do what feels best. And if you make a mistake, okay, now you know, do the, you know, change that. And I look at the past offseason here, and you can see that there's a lot of selling off. There's going to be more of it, too. Uh, there's not much left from the Canadians' Stanley Cup run. There's some pieces left from that team, but more and more of them are being stripped away because they're from the previous regime. Jeff Petrie is gone. Shea Weber is gone. Carey Price is likely never going to play hockey again. Uh, ben Sherratt is gone. Um Thomas I know Tatar. where he went. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we will get to that very handsome, very dumb man at some point. But you look at all these pieces, they didn't replace the way they needed to. Shea Weber was going to be out. Their answer was to get David Savard, who was a perfectly cromulent player in his own right, but not in the role they wanted. Oh, we're losing Thomas Tatar. We're going to go get Mike Hoffman. Not the answer. We're losing Corey Pear. We're going to get Cedric Paquette. Not the answer. They tried and they just kind of went cut right or, you know, cut bait options on these and it kind of blew up in their face, unfortunately. And that's the risk of a long playoff run. Like, I hate to know what Carey Price and Shea Weber were feeling after all those games based on the fact that neither of them afterwards 
are playing professional hockey anymore. We don't, well, Price maybe not, but so much went right and so much went wrong. It, it overcorrected so harshly. I don't think they were first overall bad on paper, but it was an absolute Murphy's law of everything that can go wrong will go wrong last season for the Canadians. So they're, oh, sorry, Laura. Uh, I was just going to say, I forgot that they also like set some sort of like record for man games lost to injury throughout the course mm -hmm. of the season. I didn't even mention that. Like there were so many things that went wrong that that wasn't even mentioned at the beginning. I, I, I just forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, those, those seasons are long and the injuries tend really do pile up a lot of times, but I think after Ducharme was out and Martin Saint-Louis came in, I, I thought the Canadians turned a little bit of a corner there. Obviously, they still finished last in the league, but play-wise, scheme-wise, they really picked up. And, you know, I thought the Canadians really took a gamble on a guy with no head coaching experience in Martin Saint-Louis, obviously a very experienced NHL player, but hadn't had that head coaching experience, any coaching experience at the NHL level at that point. He came in, he played a lot, or he didn't play a lot better, but the team played a lot better under him. And then Cole Caulfield as well, after having a rough start, getting sent down to the minors, coming back, he finished the season with, I think I wrote it down here, 33 points in 34 games. In the last 34 games he played, he had 33 points, just a point under a point per game. What happened to Cole Caulfield, and what did Martin St. Louis bring to the organization as Scott <laughs> cracks his knuckles as he gets ready to answer this one? That really helped the Montreal Canadiens. I wouldn't say turn the corner because they still finished dead last, but definitely – take a step forward in how they were playing and competitiveness wise. I think the biggest thing is Martin St. Louis thing is about concepts, not black and white systems is that he's telling guys to make plays that they think are right. And if they come off, okay, great. His synergy with Nick Suzuki uh, was a huge thing because they know where the next person's going to be. They're thinking the play two steps ahead and where they need to be not just in the moment stressing where they need to be. Do I need to be in this spot or this spot? They were allowed to play hockey, like freewheeling open hockey, and that's where they thrive at their best, and they know where they're going to be. They were a big part of that playoff run together on the Canadiens' top line, and obviously now Nick Suzuki is the captain of the team for a reason. Martin St. Louis just wanted guys to play hockey to their natural ability. They had Jordan Harris and Justin Barron come in after the trade deadline at the end of the year, they weren't told, you got to be here. You got to have this assignment. Do what feels best. They're pinching on plays. They're making, they're given the chance to grow and learn. Basically, like the hot stove kind of thing that, oh, well, that doesn't work. Don't touch the hot stove again and learn from that. And we've seen, and we've seen Caulfield develop into a guy who knows how to find space now. And Nick Suzuki knows how to get the puck into space here. There was a lot less stress on them. It was just go out there and play your game. And we will work within that. We want to do what is best for you, not force you into this cube here and make that work. Like so many other coaches do. They don't try and square peg round hole, this kind of thing. They're just like, we're going to make this work. Every line is different. Every, every player is different. And they're going to build around that. And I think that's where their success is going to come from. And especially this year, they have a lot of young guys coming up that it's a, Hey, we're going to build and work with you on what your strengths are and go from there. It is no longer a, you need to do this or you're not playing tonight kind of thing. It's an actual development path for young players. You've mentioned uh, Nick Suzuki a couple times now, and obviously the big news out of Montreal is he was named captain of the Montreal Canadiens. And I want to ask you about that. But before I can do that, I got to talk to everyone today about betonline.net. 
BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. Find all the latest football, league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts, including this year's opening week's games. BetOnline is also your continued source for all your sport wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Segment two of this crossover edition between the Locked On Montreal Canadiens and Locked On Red Wings podcast. Um, I teased before going into the segment, Nick Suzuki. He is the new captain of the Montreal Canadiens. And again, this is a situation where I'm outside the Montreal Canadiens sphere. So when they named him captain, I was surprised. To be honest, I didn't realize how good of a season he had had until I looked at the Montreal Canadiens uh, point distribution. And so when it comes to you guys as the hosts of Lockdown Montreal Canadiens, like, was this just the no-duh pick for captain? I think there was a little bit of debate in the fan base, but on our podcast, there wasn't really much debate. There were a couple of candidates that were brought up. Um, A lot of people thought, you know, Joel Edmondson would make a good captain based on his leadership in the room that people kept talking about. You know, the players looked up to him. The players love him. The, you know, even the media, he, he did the right things with the media. He, he, he did, you know, he did the leadership, but I think when you're looking at who's going to be your captain, you want to look at somebody who's going to have longevity on your team, right? Joel Edmondson's on a shorter contract, and it's entirely possible that by the time this team is ready to contend, he might not even be on the on the Canadians anymore, right? It's his. I think I believe it's his final season. He signed a three-year contract, um, so he, you know, like if I'm not mistaken, I keep mixing them up, like him and Hoffman and all of that, because there were, you know, there are a lot of a lot of guys that the Canadians signed that we thought, you know, that was a mistake. We thought that about Joel Edmondson too, and he turned around and he was really versatile. He played really well alongside Jeff Petrie, right? He really endeared himself to the fan base. But I think for me, you look at Nick Suzuki, and at some point, he emerged as somebody who's part of the future of this team, right? If you look at the Canadians and you say, who on this team is untouchable? You've got Nick Suzuki, you've got Cole Caulfield, and you've got probably, probably, you've got Slavkovsky, depending on how his first year goes, right? Like, you're not going to trade your first overall pick right now, but he's he's. we can predict that he's going to be untouchable, right? So you look at who's going to have longevity, and then you look at the person's attitude. For whatever reason, I don't know if it's just the Canadians or if it's this fan base or if it's the history. They like quiet leaders. They like leaders who aren't – they don't make a lot of noise, who aren't too flashy, who kind of – they have like this like old soul kind of quality to them. And Nick Suzuki is very much that he does lead by quiet example. Like look at their past few captains, right? Max Pacioretty, Shea Weber, Saku Koivu, like these guys who can talk and be the face if need be, but in general, they don't make a lot of noise. Right. And they love that. And I think Nick Suzuki has something that a lot of people didn't realize. And I don't think I realized that as well. And when he first started playing for the Canadians, is that his hockey sense now people are noticing but it's so incredibly underrated you know you said yourself you were looking at the point distribution you're surprised like on this team Nick Suzuki is doing everything this season and he just he sees the ice in such a way that like I believe that when Martin St. Louis took this job he was one of the players he was most excited to play with or to to coach right he just has there there's something about him and I think 
if you want to look at the heart and soul of the team, that's Brendan Gallagher. If you want to look at the like the the dad of the team, now that's Joel Edmondson with uh, Petrie and, and Shea Weber gone. But like, if if you look at if you look at the things this organization values and this market values, Nick Suzuki was definitely a front runner. I just like timing of the whole thing. I, I mean, like we like we went a, a pretty decent amount of time without a captain, right? In the layover there, like. What was there a burning, I don't know, desire to like get we need a captain right now? Or is it like what the timing wise, like, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the, the division as a whole, I'm sure at the end. But um, like probably like in the bottom two teams in the division, like at best, like seventh, like what's the why? Why timing? Like why now? Like why was it so apparent to, to appoint a captain right now? I think to establish a culture of leadership. Sure. I think that's it too, is they have a new GM, new coach. Everything here is the old regime is out. Like Shea Weber was traded in, you know, okay, he's gone. Yeah. He was still the like, you know, team dad last year, but this is a, this is Kent Hughes, Montreal Canadians. Now this is no longer Mark Bergevin's Montreal Canadians. This is a, a culture shift. They're going young. They're going after development. They're going after these upcoming guys. Nick Suzuki is the youngest captain in team history. Yeah. And you consider the teams a hundred plus years old. That's not a light thing here. And it's crazy. I think it's just a statement that it's like, we are changing the history and the narrative of this team. Now, this is the new Montreal Canadians. This is not the old one. This is the one you're going to see now, whether you like it or not. Nick Suzuki has earned that. He was at the draft. He was around for development camp, took all the young guys out to dinner. He's been everywhere. He has been, you know, a huge help for the Canadians this offseason with so many young guys. And you could see it coming a mile away here. And I, it's not hard to see why they love him. We spoke to his mom on our podcast. He's Heck a yeah. smart kid. He's, cool. he's everything the Canadians want in their in the captain in their history. He has uh, grace and class off the ice and on the ice. And he is just such a dynamic player. He's everything you want with that C on their chest every single night. And I, I, this fan base, it's like, everyone's like, don't start, you know, running out of town like you did Max Pacioretty or whomever. It's going to be fine. He's Nick Suzuki after all. So, so then my final question before I turn the table over to you guys, and you can ask us whatever you want to know about Ben Chirot, the Detroit Red Wings. Um, Obviously you guys reaped the benefits of the Red Wings getting screwed over a few years ago in the adjusted draft lottery and got the number one overall pick and drafted Yurash Lovskovsky, which up until the day of the draft was thought to be unheard of. Do you expect Yurash Lovskovsky as a number one overall pick to make the Montreal Canadiens, and what kind of impact do you expect him to have in year one? And can you just, like, just really quickly, while you answer this question, just mix in, like, a draft night reaction? Because, like, (laughs) what a night, right? Like... So I'm so glad you asked because I was there. I was covering the draft for Habs Eyes on the Prize. I cannot describe the noise that crowd made. You could hear the intake of breath in the Bell Center. And it wasn't all cheers and it wasn't all boos. And it wasn't so dominant. It was just this amalgamation of noise. The great word. That I, I cannot describe it. It was apprehensive excitement i think and this kid gets up and obviously there's the shane wright stare when he's going across the stage which i've learned apparently someone showed 
Jeff Gordon a tweet of me making a joke that he was staring at Martin saying that we eating a bag of chips. It's <laughs> I, I remember that. <laughs> the, it, it's very hard to place, but he very quickly won over the fans. Like, well, what are you going to do to win over, you know, fans of Montreal? It's like, I guess we're going to win hockey games or I'm going to, you know, score goals. It's like, uh, I heard that one before. He's cocky yeah. without being arrogant. He's right on that fine line. But at the same time, you know, he's, he's a giant child. He got his braces off like three weeks before the draft. Like, oh, yeah. gigantic (laughs) also he might not start the season in the nhl and you know what the canadians are about development now they're not about trying to force things to work like jonathan drewan at center max domi at center mike hoffman in general david (laughs) first pairing defenseman they're not going to force things to make them work if he's going to play for the laval rocket in the ahl at some point this year unless he comes in and i mean is just lighting it up at which point cool awesome First overall pick, he's great. And if not, it's like, okay, we can give him some time with the Rocket. They went, they got within a game of the Calder Cup finals last year. They lost in seven games to Springfield in the Eastern Conference finals. Their coaching staff would love Uri Slefkovsky on their team. I would too, because more people would read the stuff I write about the Rocket. But <laughs> there's a chance he's going to bounce between the both, both leagues this year at some point, or if he doesn't stick right away, and that's fine. They don't need to rush him right away to getting there. If he goes back to Finland, that's fine. I don't think he's going to because I think they want him over here. There is no wrong answer for what to do with him at this point. If he makes the NHL, great. If he goes to the HL for a little bit, great. If he wants to go back to Finland, great. The Canadians are still going to be bad. They want to pick early again next year and get another high draft pick. It all fits into their narrative for what they want next season. Uh, when we come back for segment three of the Lockdown Red Wings podcast with this crossover with Lockdown Montreal Canadiens, uh, we'll turn the table over to our friends at Lockdown Canadiens and let them ask whatever burning questions they have about the Detroit Red Wings uh, when we come back. Segment three, Lockdown Red Wings podcast, uh, crossing over with the Lockdown Montreal Canadiens. Guys, I'm going to let you have the floor. Have at it. Let, ask whatever questions you want. Scott, do you want to start? What in God's name are you doing with that Ben Sherratt contract? Uh, I, what, as someone who watched him for several years here, I understand the idea of Ben Sherratt. Yeah. The practical application of Ben Sherratt into a lineup that is actively trying to improve and make the playoffs at that cost make mate sent off several red flags in my brain and i just want to know what <laughs> that <laughs> make it make sense to me i guess from a red wings perspective i can't other than just saying that steve eiserman hasn't done us wrong yet and that's such a cop-out answer but when they signed when they when i heard the rumor that the red wings were close to signing ben Sherat, i was like okay we need defense, and I know the defensive market's not that great. So it all comes down to term and money. But then when I saw the number, I'm like, what is it in the NHL that GMs value so much in this player? Now, he does have, quote-unquote, intangibles. You know, he's tough in the <laughs> defensive zone. He's not afraid to be physical, stand up for his teammates. But as we talked a lot about before the we recorded, he draws a lot of penalties, and that hurts your team. So the biggest thing about him is he eats minutes is he can play top pair minutes, which ultimately he's going to end up playing with Moritz cider. And I think that is a huge upgrade over 
dragging Danny DeKaiser and Jordan Osterley around in the top pair, which is what I, uh, Sider had to do last season. So I think that is an upgrade, but it's not like uh, it, I can't necessarily justify it. It is the biggest question mark I've seen out of Steve Eiserman thus far, but Steve Eiserman has enough cachet to give him the benefit of the doubt so far. So maybe Ben Chirot will turn into some, the guy that everyone thinks he apparently is by trading, you know, obviously you guys know you got a first round pick out of Ben Chirot. So there's something there that first round pick. Yeah. And so, a player, a prospect, like a literal human prospect. There's something Thanks, that Florida. we must not be seeing. So Scotty, <laughs> you got anything to add on that? No, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, uh, this defense was absolutely horrific last season. And, and like, it's, it's, I know that adding Ben Sherrod doesn't like, you know, instantly make you go like, oh, that's going to improve a defense. But when you're talking about like one of the worst defenses I've ever laid my eyes on, like, you know, that's, that's, that's something. We've talked about it before. Like, I think he's going to be in the top pair. Like, I, I think he's going to be in the top pair with, uh, with Cider. And, um, I don't know, like, like, you know, a veteran, physical veteran, like pairing him with the young, like prized, you know, like future of the franchise. Like, I'm sure that's part of it, but um, I, I don't think anyone's going to be able to, before we see him play in a Red Wings uniform, be able to tell you anything that's going to make you go, oh yeah, that's worth like four years, 475. Like that's, that makes sense. Like, I, I don't think you're going to get that explanation out of anybody, but um, <laughs> I, I do think that Kind of like kind of like what you said. The the idea of him there is actually really appealing. It's just the the you know execution of said idea that that uh, is what people are kind of caught up on, rightfully so. But also, I think a little bit of it, and the final thing too, is a little bit of it is also just that's the free agent market. Like you're always going to end up overpaying for a guy, especially when you want to give have a guy here for multiple years. You're going to end up pay, overpaying him, and I think that's what that was. I don't think that any team would have gotten Ben Sherratt for anything less because he was looking for a longer term. Not that four years is incredibly long, but at thir- what is he 31 years old? That's that's going to take him to his mid 30s. That's he's secure in the bag, and that's what free agency is. So I think in the end, that played a huge role into it too. And, like, don't get me wrong, I'm happy for Ben Sherratt, but I'm also really happy that it's, like, another team. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That kind of leads me to one of my follow-up questions, is that a lot has been made in Montreal about the, quote-unquote, the plan. Like, what is Jeff Gorton and and Kenton Hughes' plan? Like, what's their philosophy? What's all of that? They obviously have come out and said they want to be dynamic, they want to be fast, they want to be smart on the ice, they want speed and skill over necessarily, like, size or whatever. That's one of those things. And we got a really interesting glimpse they posted a video of behind the scenes of the draft. So like they posted, you know, snippets of the interviews with the guys they actually picked and the conversations they had with the scouts and, you know, a few days before the draft. And I thought it was really interesting because it's not like they don't value size at all, but they talked a lot about certain things that they liked about the players. And they really seem to be, you know, one of the things I would describe them as is bold. But if you were looking at like, what is their philosophy? They're definitely going for speed and skill. So, you know, now Iserman's been around for a couple of years, obviously favorite son of Detroit, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, um, and you know, there have been a couple of changes. Like, this is their push. This offseason was there. We have to take a step forward. There's a coaching change. Like, what, do you, what would you describe his fo- team-building philosophy as? And how confident are you two uh, in, in his decision-making? I mean, confidence is... is that that thing stays at 100 I don't know. <laughs> like, and like i know that that's that's like you know could be viewed as like a super ignorant thing to say just because like who has 100 percent 
you know, confidence in their GM, but like, I, I mean, genuinely, I, it's as, if it's not a hundred, it's as close as you can get to it. And that's like pretty fan base wide too. Like it's, it's so unique in, in its trust within the fan base. Like I, I have not seen any other front office in any other sport ever have the amount of faith that the Detroit Red Wings have in Steve Eiserman's front office, which is great. Um, but you know, if it doesn't work, then it's going to be, you know, uh, the hardest fall we've ever seen too. So like it, but uh, right now it's, it's the utmost faith. And I think when, when you're talking about the plan, the biggest thing you will notice in like prospects and in drafts is, is, at the blue line, you are going to get the biggest defenseman you've ever seen, but they <laughs> all skate well. That's like his favorite thing. If if you find a six foot eight Swede that skates better than a, most six foot eight Swedes do, he's a Detroit Red Wing. You might as well just like book it. Like that's all there is to it. And I, I think that that's the most common, like reoccurring theme is that like that it's just copy and paste like all of our top defense products are Europeans that are big and skate well and that's just over and over and over again and eventually we're just going to have a whole blue line of that which is great you know they even are half of what cider was already like that that's fine why uh, on uh by me but I, I think offensively is where there's still I don't want to say question marks because because again like nobody has a, a disbelief in what he's building but um i think offensively is still where you're trying to see there's still debate over what the end game is offensively and with the forward group like that's there's several people that th they've acquired in trade but like center depth is a huge problem and in like every year it kind of continues not being addressed in mass like you'll see you know maybe one additional center added or, or or one or two at most but you haven't seen like a complete overhaul and that's still really shallow organizational wide and then the wings are like a mix of young promising prospects young prospects that maybe haven't reached their full potential like there's still a lot of a lot of back and forth and a lot of uh like i said debate i think on the forward core but but the defense unit for as bad as it was at the NHL level last year, like you look at the farm and you see like, okay, we know what's coming. This defensive group is going to be really good in a couple of years where I, I think even though the wings are better right now at the NHL level or the forwards, I should say are, are better now at the NHL level. Uh, there's still maybe some debate about the long-termness of that group. You know what I'm hearing? I'm hearing that, Stevie should call Kent Hughes because the Canadians have a lot of forwards, a lot of centers, and nowhere to put them. So, <laughs> and a bunch of guys in the pipeline, they're trying to graduate. So I think that this could be a match made in heaven. Also, the Canadians like have barely anybody on the right defense. So I really, I truly feel like this could be, I know it's an inter, you know, in, in division rival and that's, you know, frowned upon, blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. But I really think that they could be really great training partners. I really think they should give each other a call. Listen, I was advocating hardcore when Jeff Petrie was still in the Montreal Canadiens for Steve Eisman to give him a call because I thought that was a match made in Dan heaven. Petrie's a Detroit legend, baby. Like, Dan that's what I said. has a World Series ring with the Tigers, yeah. Like I we did, I, I think we did a whole episode on it, didn't we, Scotty? Yeah, like we, we did so, well, like at least two yeah, segments because sure. I mean he's still playing at a high level. His contract's not unbearable, especially if there was a like a way of like working out like some some type of retention. So I mean, 
I thought he would have been, and the Red Wings blue line is abysmal or was abysmal. It's better now that they've picked up all these free agents and hopefully Simon Edmondson comes along. But I mean, I was like, that's a match made in heaven. I, I saw, I'm with you, Laura. I've been advocating for them to call the Canadians for a while. And well, I remember there's... that people were against the Jeff Petrie thing, but I was like, I kept saying, like, it was Scott and I with our fan base. We kept being like, no, Jeff Petrie's valuable. And then we saw all these other fan bases being like, we don't want him. I'm like, no, Jeff Petrie's <laughs> valuable. <laughs> people think he's washed up, but he's not. He's still playing at a good level. Dude played mostly injured last year. And then under Martin St. Louis, played near a point per game pace when he was in the lineup. And it's almost like, hmm. Maybe the coach was the problem. Duh. Crazy but <laughs> if you do Duh. want a center, there is Christian Dvorak, who the Canadians are likely trying to move out here in the near future. And you need a center. You have the cap space. And we would like any number of young pieces to put I think, in. <laughs> I think Eisenman might be heading into free agency mode as we saw this offseason. Because we do have a lot of young <clears throat> prospects. And we have a couple center prospects as well. So I think that Red uh, is looking for finishing pieces at this point, rather than um, like m- more I, just bottom six filler. Yeah, I think we're I think we're we're probably a year away from like the true okay, like we're going to seriously consider trading prospects for NHL talent again, right? Like the in, just in like the reverse bell curve of a rebuild, right? Like I think we're still probably a year away from the point where this front office is going to be like, okay, we're going to trade like decent prospects that we're, that we like, like for actual NHL talent. I think we're probably, probably still about 12 months away from that, but that's, I mean, Stevie works in mysterious ways. You'll, <laughs> you'll wake up one morning and, and, uh, uh Boom, you know, really who so an Iser bomb. Yeah. So, um, bef- do you guys have any final, any other questions before I get to the final Can you do division question? really quick? That's what I was no going to get questions. to. I just want to do like division rundown for everybody. Like was, what's yeah. the, you know, what's the expectation? Is it, is it better than eighth? <laughs> for the Canadians? I, yes. Um, I don't think so. Based on the pure fact that I look at the division here, you have Toronto, Tampa, Florida, who are still good and are going to stay in the top division. three there. You have Boston, who was going to struggle while they recoup their injuries, but are still the Boston Bruins. You have Detroit and Ottawa on the rise. You have Buffalo, who who knows? And then you have the Canadians, who are rebuilding. I think the division, like 6-7-8, is still going to be closer. I still think the Canadians are going to finish last in the division based solely on the fact that they are still selling pieces off of this team. But they should be more competitive every night assuming they don't get just swiped by injuries and everything going into the season, uh, they're still going to probably be the worst team in the division right now until some more of these young guys graduate. They get some of these other pieces of fat trimmed off the roster here and build the team that Kent Hughes is trying to. And I don't, I wouldn't be shocked that not this season, but next season they are pushing for, you know, that fourth spot there in the division. But this year it it doesn't look likely unless they go on just an absolute heater uh, through any point of the season here. Well, I hope for the Red Wings sake that Montreal takes a little bit longer to get there because this division is about to be just a heat and an arms race because Scotty and I have talked a ton about where the Red Wings are going to land. Obviously they've taken a huge step forward this off season and they have a lot of young talent coming up. Uh, there have the return of Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider coming off hot rookie seasons. And so you think, oh, well, this team 
could be a competitor in the division. And then you realize you don't play in the Pacific division and every team's a, a, a powerhouse in this one. So you're like, really? you're looking at somewhere if you're lucky between fourth and sixth still. The Red Wings finished sixth this last division, but with Boston last and Ottawa division, yeah. I, this last year, thank you, Scotty. You know what I meant. That's uh, Scott Bentley, everyone. Comedian. <laughs> um, but yeah, Wait. it's it's a tough one. Laura division eighth, yeah. Uh, for the Canadians, yeah. But yeah. For, for Detroit, like here's a really hot take. Like I think that if you look at the moves made, I think Ottawa made the best moves in the dis- division. I still I think it's hot. Nah, no, but I, I still think that they're not going to make the playoffs. Like that, that's oh, my, that's oh. my prediction. Is they made, they did, they, uh, they definitely made the best moves, right? Like they got the best free agents. They got, you know, like they, they reorganized a bunch of things, like in a way they got rid of a goaltender who cannot stop a puck to save his life to a division rival. Like, like all of those moves are incredible, right? And then you look at it and you look at the division and I really, I still think that they're not going to make the playoffs. I'm in the same boat as you. Yeah, that I, I told, we had a crossover with Sens, like Locked On Sens, and I, I said the same thing. I was like, y'all, I, I think you're, you're looking at a situation where uh, like the, the Wings and Sens are two of the best teams in the NHL to like miss the postseason. That's kind of like where I'm at with it, yeah. I mean, don't – so Such this, is where, division, the, this is where the Such question marks division. come in, though, because like you said, the Sens upgraded at goaltender and trading it to a divisional rival. Don't – obviously, the Maple Leafs' offense is potent, but their defense has always been a question mark, and their goaltending's always been a question mark, and then they traded for Matt Murray, which yeah. is an even bigger question mark. They got worse mark. and paid more to get worse, and so I'm not, it was I'm actually not really, say, really <laughs> fascinating. Yeah, it was really I'm cool. Not gonna, I'm not going to say that Toronto's going to finish like six. That's not going to happen. They're just, they just score too much, but they could take a step back. And then Boston, you're, you obviously you got Bergeron back. David Krejci's coming back. Who knows how good Krejci's going to be after taking the year off. But Marshawn and McAvoy are missing the start of the season, and those are two huge pieces. So you could see a step back from Boston as well. I I, I don't disagree with you, Laura, that Ottawa could still miss the playoffs. And I do agree with you that they made the best moves. I mean, acquiring Dabrinkit for what they got or what they traded away was yeah. insane. Dabrinkit's <clears throat> an insane player. 26, under team control. Ridiculous. So they, they're still – that's why that, that four to six area, I, I just I struggle with predicting where the wings are going to land. I think it's going to be in that span. I want to see a step forward. I want to see him be four or five. But, like, I could see it still being six. They could be way better than they were last year, but it could just be a product of the division. Cool. Any final thoughts, anyone? Anyone got anything? Uh, they got to get off their chest. For the love of God, make hockey start so I have something to talk about on this show five days a week. <laughs> that starts next week. Correct. Right? Guys, next week? Yes. We're back to five. And back I know, I, I hope our listeners are ready for all kinds of prospect talk still. <laughs> Same. Well, Scott, Laura, thank you so much. It was a blast uh, doing my first over crossover with you guys. Got to do this more often, especially. I think it was mine. Is it going. mine too? I feel like it was mine too. Yeah, yeah. we haven't I don't done think a crossover. No one and I either ever either did. Yeah, I don't think so either. Yeah. I just figure Scott knows. It. Scotty knows everyone. He's just <laughs> well. I do. But. Uh, <laughs> big shot over here getting Tigers minor league prospects on his podcast like it's nothing. Mm-hmm. Big shot. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Thanks again, but guys. Uh, we'll I do this say again. Thank you to you guys too for inviting oh, us. Because like honestly, we've been meaning to do this, but somebody has to like actually like do the logistics, <laughs> and I'm so grateful to you guys for this. Oh, I'm so bad at it too. I I think out of the division rivals, so to speak, we've only done you Panthers and now Senators since my tenures began. We haven't uh, we haven't done like Leafs and I. It's like my that's my bad because I got to reach out to these guys and you know. 
get it going because these season previews are so important. So, but ask about Matt Murray. <laughs> ask about Matt Murray. We will. Uh, Scotty and I will be back on Friday. Laura, Scott, everyone knows you're locked on Montreal Canadiens, but where can everyone find you? Uh, we are at LO underscore Canadians on Twitter, locked on Canadians on YouTube. Uh, you can follow Laura at the active stick and myself at Scott Matla. Um, don't yell at me. I just make gifts. Please. And thank you. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. We'll be back on Friday. Same time, same place. It's your team every day. Every day. <laughs>